You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. Water is the basis of all life on this planet, but yet it isn't valued enough. South Asia is suffering from both drought and floods, which simply stems from bad water management. Small improvements have already happened. A few water bodies here and there have been recharged and water is being recycled. But much, much more needs to be done to guarantee safe drinking water for all the people in the region. My name is Julia Verius and you're listening to South Asia Initiative's podcast Climate Lens South Asia. We'll start to talk about groundwater and the fact that many South Asian cities are on the verge of running out of water and it already happened in Chennai in 2019. Aditi Mukherjee from the International Water Management Institute in New Delhi knows more about this. Welcome to Climate Land South Asia, Aditi. Thank you, Julia. What happened when Chennai ran out of water 2019? So Chennai is what we often call the day zero of Chennai based on, you know, it was our Cape Town moment kind of. That was around uh, early June when the city officials said that Uh, all the reservoirs, there are four of those surface water reservoirs had kind of run out of water or there was very minimal supply. And the rainfall for the last two to three monsoons before that were already very poor. So that had kind of led to these reservoirs running out of water. What happened was a lot of the places got their normal water supplies cut off and those who could afford started ordering tankers and other private sources of water. And what actually happened, what is actually kind of, you know, show the inequity, like you you have to have money to be able to access water. So so that was what was the, uh, the sad part about this water crisis, that it, again, we are already a very unequal society. And it showed that water crisis means that some suffer more than the others. Fortunately, very soon, that same year's monsoon uh, later was quite a good monsoon year for Chennai. And so it kind of recovered, you know, that that immediate crisis. But it again underlined the fact that these crises can happen anytime again, unless more attention is paid to some basic things like what do you do with the water that falls, where it falls, are you conserving those kind of, uh, you know, recharge areas, are you letting the water seep into the ground and become a part of the aquifer, are you conserving those catchment areas, so that the water that falls actually comes and, you know, goes to other surface water bodies like these storage reservoirs. Could this happen in other South Asian cities as well? Yes, absolutely. Especially if those cities are located in arid and semi-arid parts of the country where rainfall is already limited and climate change is making those much more variable than before. Um, And in those very cities, uh, uh, population is also growing at a fast rate and municipal services are not able to keep pace. So I can certainly think of cities like Bangalore, where historically there have been numerous interconnected lakes, but those lakes have been neglected, polluted and encroached upon. So it can certainly happen in those cities, cities like Delhi, Bangalore. Those have already are located in, in geographical areas that doesn't receive a lot of rainfall. Even in cities like Kolkata, where I live, uh, we have abandoned natural wetlands all throughout the city. And it's almost a textbook example of a sponge city. But natural sponges are also not being protected here. There's a lot of encroachment happening for urban housing. There's lack of planning. 
So this what happened in Chennai can very well happen in other cities in India as well. You spoke about the poor, but the middle class all over the region and the country have uh, water purifiers and buy bottled water and basically get their water. How is this affecting the rest of the population? So this is a very interesting question, Julia. So what the middle class has effectively done that they have tried uh, kind of, you know, make their own water bubble around them. They know that the urban municipal water supply is not reliable, either in terms of quantity or quality. So they have gone ahead and done self-provisioning, which also means that the middle class also happen to be uh, influential citizen group within within the urban system. And they have a voice, but the very fact that they they said that they no longer require the government services also means that they have taken the pressure of the government to do better in terms of delivering better water services. Again, the ones that those are disproportionately affected are the poor because they cannot often uh, afford to invest as much in buying water or purifying water. So they are actually the ones who are facing the poor water quality and the quantity that they get from the government services. So the middle class's action has actual political ramifications, in my opinion, in the way that we are not putting enough pressure on the governments to say that we need better delivery of basic services like, you know, water or for that matter, air. Many people are saying that South Asia is in the middle of a water crisis. Uh, how would you describe the situation for someone who's never been in uh, India or any of these countries? It is in the middle of a water crisis. Uh, this crisis is manifested a bit differently in agriculture and in urban areas. And we have to understand that uh, from two different lenses. So that's my first point. The second is that India is a large country with very different agricultural regions. There are parts of India like eastern India, which receives uh, a good amount of rainfall, 1000 millimeter and above, versus there are parts of India which barely receive any rainfall, very arid and very semi-arid. So the way these uh, water crises manifest is also different in different regions of India. But the common problem that is shared across agriculture, urban areas and areas with a lot of rainfall versus areas with low rainfall is poor water governance. So actually it's the poor water governance rather than the supply side issues per se, which is at the heart of India's water crisis. So we have a governance crisis rather than a water crisis, I would say. And how is the water shortage linked to climate change? So, as I said, current water crisis is really an outcome of poor water governance. It is not a crisis that is necessarily due to that we don't have enough uh, water supply or we don't have enough rain, uh, etc. I mean, there are some smaller pockets where maybe physical water scarcity is a real issue. But in, in most parts of India, it's really a governance, a management issue. What climate change is doing is, is making it like deep, deeper and more severe through changing rainfall patterns. So studies are showing and, and our farmers and all of us are already experiencing uh, uh, more intense rainfall events and then which kind of leads to lower recharge outcomes. So we have uh, maybe the total amount of rainfall isn't changing. We still have the same amount of rainfall, but those they, all that rain is falling in a fewer number of rainfall events which are much more severe. That affects recharge, which means that not all of that rainfall is effectively recharging our groundwater aquifers. 
then uh, climate change is also likely to increase the extreme weather events. And already, for example, I'd work a lot on agriculture and with farmers. I can already see that farmers are coping with those changing rainfall patterns and they can no longer rely on their conventional crop practices. Majority of the farmers have changed their sowing and harvesting times or even the crops that they grow based on the changing rainfall patterns. So overall, climate change is just going to exacerbate our existing water crisis unless we fix our governance issues quickly. And what could this lead to in the future if this continues? Water is kind of the basic input in all production processes. And it's kind of, uh, you know, one of those things that is absolutely essential for human welfare, human well-being. Uh, Lack of water, lack of access to water affects every aspect of our lives. I mean, right from uh, if you think of poor water quality, things like um, waterborne diseases, even malnutrition, even a child being given nutritious food won't be able to absorb that nutrition unless you know, uh, they they have uh, proper kind of access to good quality water. That's kind of kind comes to human health. Then for agriculture, all of India's, almost 60% of India's crop output depends on irrigated agriculture. So our food production, and there are some studies that are showing that our cropping intensity is projected to go down. Our farmers are will be able to grow less crops in the in the coming years partly due to climate change, but partly due to uh, our groundwater crisis. So that will also affect our entire food sector. So and then uh, we already have seen cases like Chennai, where your entire, you know, it's a city of 8 million. That's a lot of people. And and how severely uh, that entire city life was disrupted. So water crisis will affect, as far as I can see, every single aspect, even industrial pollution, industrial production will be affected if we don't manage our water better. Thank you, Aditi Mukherjee, for being a part of Climate Lens South Asia. Thank you, Julia, so much. We are surrounded by water, and in the incoming decades, thousands, if not millions of people will see their homes disappear with rising water levels. Water shortage will lead to conflicts and force people to seek a new home far away from the place they were born. Podo Malama is a researcher at the Division of Risk Management and Society Safety at the University of Lund, and she is also affiliated to SUSNET, Swedish South Asian Studies Network. She has studied how climate change is affecting societies and communities in South Asia. Welcome, Podoma, to South Asia Initiative's podcast, Climate Lens South Asia. Thank you so much, Julia, for inviting me. You have uh, done fieldwork in Maldives. It's the lowest country in the world and only 1.5 meters above sea level. It's a high risk that the whole country will be submerged due to the rising sea levels. How is uh, this noticeable in daily life of people in the Maldives? The indirect effects of sort of sea level rise could be sort of due to the government policies that are being implemented. There was a huge push towards creating artificial islands because of the rising sea levels. They they felt that you know Mali, the capital, was getting um, is 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 over is getting overpopulated. So then now they need to create another place uh, or reclaim land 
to create sort of these artificial islands so that populations from Mali could be moved and from the other islands, which are sort of are in the danger zone could be moved there. So the population could be moved there. I think that sort of has indirect repercussions on people and people are more worried about those sort of um, implications rather than uh, implications of, um, uh, you know, sea level rise. Rising sea levels is uh, a complex question, but I'm thinking of those ones who live just next to the sea, who has uh, their houses or their cottages just close mm-hmm. to the Sure. How are they um, living today and what are the um, scope for their future? The thing is uh, that like um, at least the islands that I visited and even in Mali, uh, I mean, there's not so much distance from the sea, you know, the living spaces, the workspaces and things like that. It's very, very small, you know, uh, to reach to go to the sort of the coast area. I don't know exactly what the distance would be, but it's quite close. The interesting thing is that there, you know, like one would expect that there would be stills or some kind of uh, invention like that, um, which would, which which is very much expected in areas which um, which experience a lot of flooding or inundation and etc. But none of these is seen. What you can sort of see in and around is a lot of um, um, seawalls which are being built, particularly in Mali. There are seawalls which are built. But apart from that, when it comes to, you know, um, um, the kind of housing structure or for that matter, some kind of land use uh, zonation or something like that, that's sort of not very, very popular among the common people. Why? Because of tourism. And that's the reason why that, you know, sea level rise, change, climate change impacts need to be seen from a changing socioeconomic perspective of the island people as well. Because of tourism and things that people do not really care about, you know, they see the short-term benefits of it. Any place that they see fit to create a building, there is a building there. The tourism uh, will continue. What can we expect in the incoming years? Either you move inwards to the island, that's like relocation within the island, and relocation from the island. So uh, that has been one of the major sort of government policy. And also infrastructural uh, defenses to build defenses along, you know, which are called sea walls and sea defenses, they're called, which are a lot of infrastructural push towards creating these defenses around the island. But at the same time, they also have negative effects because, first of all, they cost a lot to maintain. Second of all, um, they also lead to erosion, beach erosion. A lot of beach erosion takes place because of that. So the natural movement of the beach, which takes place around, that can't happen. And and uh, and also, it's it's a huge sort of uh, social and uh, uh, economic impact for the people who are being moved from their places, from their place of birth, you see. How do you look at the future when it comes to water scarcity in the South Asian region? People who are poor, people who are, you know, belong to low caste and things are going to be much, much more affected in comparison to people who have income or the means to sort of get access to water. Thank you, Podoma, for being a part of South Asia Initiative's podcast, Climate Lens South Asia. Thank you, Julia, for having me. South Asia is home for almost one-fourth of the population on the globe. 
In South Asia, initiatives Climate Lens South Asia, we look closer to why climate change in the region is crucial for the rest of the world and also for us in Sweden. Henrik Schietan Aspengren is the acting head of the Asia program at the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. Welcome. Thank you so much, Julia. So why is the climate change in South Asia so crucial for the rest of the world? Well, there are several things uh, I would mention, partly because of the severity of the problem in the region and the sheer size of the populations affected, but also because the global effect that decisions taken with regards to, for example, India's energy mix or transport in South Asia's megacities will have for future generations, not only in the region itself, but even globally. So what are the main challenges we have ahead to minimize the climate change in this region? Again, I think there are several things and aspects to this. One is capital. Uh, We have heard that over the series here. Uh, That is the finance for concrete climate action in the region. But also coordination between stakeholders, both in the region and from outside. Um, Many of these countries have multi-level governance structures, which means that regional states, municipalities, but nationally, they will have to, these levels will have to coordinate, but the external stakeholders are also several. So, for example, there can be twinning initiatives between cities and regions in Europe and South Asia, or there can be companies or nation states that all are um, implicated or, or drive climate action So coordination is a big issue as well here. Other um, uh, thing is um, an important aspect is how the countries in the region will navigate the urgent economic development demands and the urgent need for climate action simultaneously. That I think is a, a, a great challenge. So what, but what are the possibilities or the positive changes that you have seen or heard of? Yeah, let me mention a few. I I think we see a greater public awareness about these issues. Um, We witness a lot of public debate, but also mobilization around these issues. Another aspect is that there exists already a great knowledge and expertise capacity in the region We have heard over in this series um, several uh, leading experts from the region. Knowledge is there. There is also great innovation capacity uh, in the region, and I think that is crucial. Oh, and a further thing is there's some political will, uh, and I would say especially in India, to make climate action a priority both domestically but also internationally. So how do you look at the future when it, come, when it comes to these uh, issues? Well, the climate crisis is, of course, the defining issue uh, of our time. Um, and effective international cooperation is key. Um, the EU, I think, has a great chance to further develop the external dimension of its Green Deal and more clearly integrate it into its engagement with the South Asian region. So that that is an important aspect. And also Sweden can actually do more to turn cooperation in climate action into a sort of leading aspect of its engagement with the countries in the region.
Thank you Henrik Kjetten Aspengren for being a part of Climate Lens South Asia. Thank you very much. Find us on www.ui.sc. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube where you can watch our seminars and interviews. Catch you later.